All right, welcome to the High Post, episode five, uh, chugging right along. It's been a solid 10 days of, of not much happening. Like, I, I feel weird about it because we had three months of basically new basketball news in some way or another every day, either on-court stuff or Jimmy Butler is starting his own uh, coffee <laughs> company in the bubble or uh, whatever, the Lou Williams stuff or, or the Daniel House stuff, you know, to this where it's been just nothing. I, I'm, I'm frankly kind of bored and, and I'm craving some uh some drama i don't know about you how's your last 10 days of basketball fandom been <laughs> it's it's been pretty dead i uh unfortunately even an exciting world series cannot yeah. <laughs> keep me entertained in the same way that uh daniel house uh flirting with uh hotel staff could, be, <laughs> could get me excited <laughs> yeah that's a good point because i kind of honestly forgot that the world series was happening um yeah, that happened, I guess. Justin Turner got coronavirus, which is already yeah. more coronavirus cases than the NBA got. But I guess it's different shit. Can't compare it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the NBA is That's the best league in the world. That's would want you to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big MLB is just controlling the narrative. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're here today to, in our little off-season lull, give our top 20, or top 21, I guess. We, we separate, without even talking to each other, both decided that 21 was the appropriate number of people that we respect in the NBA in terms of their <laughs> duos. But yeah, I think like you're the one who brought up this idea a couple weeks ago, and I think you put it best when you said, basically, it's a league of duos, and ranking the duos is, and I don't think it's perfect by any means, but it's a approximate ranking of how the teams are shaking up. And we saw that play out in the NBA finals this year, where or the NBA playoffs in general, where the best duo in the league, which I don't know, I don't think there's going to be any drama around that pretty much just dominated everyone that came in front of their path. Yeah, I mean, last summer was the summer of the duos coming together. I ten years ago was the it was the big three summer, but now it seems like it's two people, and then you build around those two people. Right, maybe three. Yeah, and you know we'll have a nice year of this before Giannis joins the Heat, and we can <laughs> talk about big threes again, and everybody trying to load up <laughs> to take down Jimmy, Bam, and Giannis. But uh, for now, we've got a little bit of parody, which is just weird to think about. Like, I'm glad we didn't have a basketball podcast uh, when we were actually in college together, like seeing each other most days, because I don't know. Like, it seems like there's just so much more to talk about now. Like, intrigue was probably at its highest in between the Kevin Durant going to the Warriors years, but at the same time, it was always just with the exception of maybe the Maury Rockets, a done deal every year going into the league. If they could stay healthy, the Warriors are winning the championship. And here we are where, I don't know, 10 teams maybe? I, I don't know how deep your second tier of this goes, but there are a fucking lot of teams that have a shot at winning the title this year. It's probably around 10 teams. I mean, the West itself, there, there's tiers of that, obviously, but the West itself is like loaded and you could have, I don't know about a title, but eight or nine teams that have a legitimate that are going to tell themselves that not only could they make the playoffs, that they could win a round or two in right. the playoffs. Right. Which, you know, I think a couple of years ago, it was a lot of teams were knew that if they played the Rockets or the Warriors in the first round, they weren't going to make it out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And my, my top two tiers are a total of 10 teams. And I think nine of those 10, I would give a shot at winning the title. And then outside my top 10, I think I have a couple teams that honestly, I would give, you know, a chance to win the title. And the funny thing is, 
like I think probably all the people that we've put on this list of duos will be on the teams that we put them on. But that third piece, I think, is going to be so different in a lot of cases that, you know, when you rank these teams in terms of how likely they are to win the title. And like we talked last week about the Bucks, and that's like, I think, the prime example of this. It's going to look so different come December or January or whenever the season actually ends up starting. Yeah. I mean, I have no no clue who I would even classify as the third best player on the Bucks. I guess I would say <laughs> Brooke Lopez, but it's uh, it's really interesting, and it's uh, brings up another part of like something that I had to think about. I'm sure you thought about when putting these lists together, which is like so much of these rankings depend on the team that's built around these players and how much it optimizes their pairing. And then also the uh, yeah the the uh, ability of these two players to work together, how well they like play off of each other. Because there, in at least on my list, there's a there's a couple spots where maybe the two players individually are more talented than two other players, but the other two players have such symbiotic relationships uh, and play styles that I put them a little bit higher. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that's something I was absolutely thinking of as well. And, and not only that, but I think there are, when you think about duos, there's such a different role that the number one guy has to take on on a team versus what the number two guy has to do. And though I think sometimes on this list, I might rank teams higher where you could look at that number two guy and say, he is so much better than that other number two guy that I ranked higher. But at the same time, if you're better at you know playing off ball and filling in the gaps of what your number one guy can't do, it's going to just make it, like you said, a more symbiotic relationship. And I think that kind of transitions well. Do you, do you want to knock it off and give me your, give me your tier one? I think uh, we're going to have a little some differences at the top because I, I, I don't know. It's going to be hard to even defend this. And I think injuries are such a big part of this too because, you know, it's not hard. We can't pretend like, you know, two of the best duos in the league did not play at all in right. 2019. Another- Right. Another, this is a very, another part that was like a part of it that was very tough to factor in because we are projecting, you know, what Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are going to look like uh, next season, which it's not really easy to project because Achilles are serious things and they're getting older and all that. But I, I don't know about you, but I personally just went for the most, most optimistic uh, interpretation of how they're going to play because I yeah. think that the they have earned it they're both champions they're both great players and like I want that to happen it's been they've both had like two years to to get healthy because of a uh, pandemic so I figured if there's any season to recover from major injuries this would be it but yeah, I so my I'll start off and uh, just say that my tier one was only one team I thought it was clearly uh, head and shoulders above the the rest of the block below it uh, in terms of the duos and it was the team that just won the finals the Los Angeles Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron James yeah I think that's fair I mean it's hard to argue with that my, my tier one was four teams if only because I think that it's such a star-driven league and I think their stars aren't that far apart but then you know I mean you're right Anthony Davis is so much better than any of the guys backing up the stars on any of these teams I'm going to have below it like it's almost hard to justify it but yeah here we are I mean I think they're generally closer the team the three teams that I have in tier one to LeBron and Anthony Davis than they are to the teams I have below them but at the same time 
I don't know. I mean, you're so right. I, I'm tempted to just add a little space on my uh, Google Doc here and uh, break this up a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, obviously, number one with a, with a bullet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, you um, want to run through your tier one? Yeah, my, my tier one, number one, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And number two, I don't want to start too much uh, right off the bat here, but I, I've got Steph and Clay. Uh, number three, Kawhi and Paul George. And, and number four, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I don't know, this is kind of what I was talking about before with Steph and Clay, where I think Paul George is not really deniably better at playing basketball than Clay Thompson. But when you're talking about who fills in that secondary role better, it's hard to think that I wouldn't rather have Clay Thompson, a guy who's never shot below 40% from three in his entire career versus Paul George, who has been at best a streaky shooter. I mean, he looked like an MVP candidate more than a year ago, but that was such an outlier season that it's hard to imagine he's ever going to be able to replicate that again. And maybe I'm underestimating the sort of Paul George vengeance tour that some people think he's going to come back and have this year. But if I'm talking about a number two guy that I want to put next to a guy like Steph Curry or LeBron James or a distributing scoring star like the best players in the league are, I want Clay Thompson. I'm not sure I want Paul George. Uh, I can't disagree with that at all. I had the same two through four as you uh, in a slightly different order. Although I will say I did really, really want to put the Warriors at number two. <laughs> and like for a variety of reasons, I mean, the last time we really saw them fully healthy, they're winning championships. Like in every moment when they've been tested, they've, uh, they've come through, they've proven themselves. Uh, a million different reasons I wanted to put the Warriors number two. I didn't because they're coming off of a weird season. Steph's a little injured, and I do think that the other number twos on the uh, Kyrie and Paul George are marked or are more talented. Uh, but so I had number two Kawhi and Paul George, number three Katie and Kyrie, and then number four I had Steph and Draymond. And wow. so I was almost positive that we were going to be in disagreement here, and that you're going to have Clay as the number two for the Warriors and. So I, why did you pick Clay? Did you consider Draymond at all for this number two spot? I did consider Draymond. I mean, when the Athletic did their group of tiers of the NBA of individual players that we kind of were talking about over text last week, they had Draymond a tier above Clay, And I think that's completely fair, but I don't know. I mean, if, if you want a guy that's just going to be able to get those buckets for you at the end of a playoff game, which it's kind of proven that is what you need to be able to make the finals, let alone win it at this point in the NBA. I mean, you think about the guys that carried the heat to the finals. When you think about Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and guys that were just getting buckets when you need them to. I mean, Clay Thompson is that times a million. And as great as Draymond Green is, especially when he decides to spend three weeks uh, getting on a good diet and uh, getting absolutely ripped. I mean, it's just hard not to think about the pivotal moments that built the Warriors dynasty and think that Clay Thompson was more pivotal, eh, pivotal in getting him there than Draymond was. But at the same time, it's, it's so close. They're both top 25 guys, in my opinion, without a doubt. Right. It was pretty close for me. And that's honestly why I put the Warriors at number four is, you know, if we're ranking trios, I think they might be the number one in the league. I think as a duo, they're probably a little lower than those guys. That's because they're top three guys are so head and shoulders above the rest. Um, For me, I think that if you're going to continue with that Miami Heat analogy, Bam Adebayo is a worse version of peak Draymond Green. And and Bam Adebayo was obviously doing more for the for the Heat than Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero were doing. I think uh, 
I don't know if you know Ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball, but he had a a great podcast last week ranking the top 10 passers in the NBA. And he had Draymond Green at number 10. Uh, and so I don't know if you're going to put him there, but he's roughly the 10th best passer in the league and the defensive player of the year level guy. I think that that alone is a really, really top flight player that has uh, the potential to be better than Clay Thompson. And then mixed in with that is I think that Steph and Draymond together are, are perhaps the most uh, symbiotically paired uh, teammates that I've seen in my life watching basketball I think that if uh oh just a I can't help but get the image of the Rockets game six uh after KD went down a couple years ago when they just went mercilessly uh to Stephen KD or Stephen or Stephen Draymond pick and rolls to close out that fourth quarter scored like 15 points on five possessions or some ridiculous number like that. Um, you know, Steph Curry is going to be Steph Curry wherever he is, but I do think that his off-ball movement is just such a – the value of his off-ball, off-ball movement is elevated by playing with a big man passer like Draymond. I think Draymond is – you know, started the revolution of being a great small ball five defensive center and still might be the best small ball five defensive center in the league. Uh, it was close for me, but I thought yeah. just as a duo, Steph and Draymond were a little bit higher. Yeah, and I, I completely get that. I think at his best, he's probably the best defender in the league. You can probably put Anthony Davis up there. I mean, we've been clear on this Wide podcast well, how we feel about yeah. – yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean – And I think, you know, honestly, if he got anywhere close to where he was in 2016 as a guy who could also score, both create his own shot and, you know, uh, play off ball a little bit and get some shots in that sort of motion offense that Steve Kerr's created for them, I think he probably would take that number two spot for me. But seeing Klay Thompson and what he did during that playoff run last year, especially once uh, once Kevin Durant went down, it's just hard. I don't know. It might be recency bias. They're so close. I completely agree, though. Right. There's a, you know, it, it's very close. I think that Clay is obviously a better offensive player. And, but I, I do think that in the, in the transition game, you know, if you look at Draymond, that series against Portland, which is the next series after that Rockets, uh, that Rockets one, Draymond was scoring a lot and getting a lot of buckets for himself yeah. and flying down the court in transition. Uh but it's very close. I am so yeah. excited to watch the Warriors next I year. Too. I know we've talked about that a million times. And I'm excited to see what they do with the amount of assets that they have because, I mean, it gets underrated. You know, people give a lot of love to Danny Ainge and the sort of stockpile in his war room that he's built up. But within basically a year and a half, they've probably built the biggest chest of assets and rebounded from losing one of the five best players in the league in a way that I don't think anybody could have anticipated. And it's their offseason and the way that they sort of adapt to losing that. And I think they're all going to have to play a little bit harder and adapt to taking on different roles is going to be fascinating. Like you said, I would just say to finish up the Warriors talk a little bit, I do think Clay Thompson gets underrated on defense a little bit sometimes in my mind always goes back to that Clippers series, which frankly should not have been a series that went to six games, but Clay Thompson was everywhere, you know, cutting through passing lanes. Just, I mean, he's not anywhere near the level of player Draymond Green is defensively, but I think he is such an asset for them defensively and covers up for Steph and his sort of deficiencies in such an important way that, I don't know, like I said, it's so negligible and the Warriors are awesome.
did you have more yeah. guys in, in your right. second tier so, or was it i'll finish off my tier two so i have six teams in my tier two i said Kawhi and paul george were number two then katie and Kyrie, steph and draymond uh and then i went these these are all very very close i had i had a tough time differentiating these three uh jimmy and bam Giannis and middleton and then Jokic and murray okay and i think wow i i think uh jimmy and bam uh and Jokic and murray were really just i had to reward them for what they did in the playoffs and it's it's funny because we talked about the they're very they're very symbiotic in very uh, different ways. I think Jokic and Murray are very similar to Stefan Draymond in a in a great off ball mover and a big man passer. And then Jimmy and Bam are just two defensive switching guys. Uh, you're smiling over here, was just telling me that we have a very different list. It's just one of them. I, and I I told you before this it was going to be hard to defend this, um, but I did not have the heat duo nearly as high as you did in that five spot and frankly i didn't have any of those three guys you mentioned in that five spot which i think is gonna be <laughs> interesting um, i think i i think i know who you who you put there but yeah i mean my my tier two is six teams as well it's my five through ten and in the five spot i've got ben simmons and joel Embiid. in the six oh, spot yeah. i've got chris middleton and Giannis. seven spot Nikola Jokic and jamal murray in the eighth spot i've got luka Doncic and kristaps porzingis nine jimmy butler and bam and ten harden and westbrook and that will be my my tier two there which I don't know I was close to bumping Harden and Westbrook out of that, but then I remembered how much better Russell Westbrook looked before those injuries kind of took over. And I mean, frankly, like they were playing so well together and they looked just so symbiotic for those two and a half months we got of Russell Westbrook sort of going throwback on us a little bit. And maybe it's wrong to, you know, assume that that'll ever happen again, but I feel like they were closer to that tier than the tier that I had below them, which I don't know. The Rockets, I feel, I still think have a shot at maybe pulling together some sort of last ditch effort unless they trade one of their stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're uh, assuming every next season starts as is right now, which isn't a complete guarantee. Yeah, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't hate the heat being that high, but I do feel like, I don't know. Bam was so incredible during that bubble run, but it's kind of the same thing. I mean, if you're just looking and at the bubble, Jimmy. yeah, I mean, Jimmy was unstoppable, but I feel like Jimmy has always been this kind of guy who is, looks like one of the best players in the league in the playoffs. And maybe that's just how we should view him. Maybe he just is that kind of player and saves it up in a way that I don't even know. I mean, LeBron, I guess kind of does the same thing or did the same thing, but I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just not ready to put Bam on that level yet, even though <laughs> after that uh, Eastern Conference Finals, I was about ready to call him the best player on the Heat. But I don't know. It's been it's been right. a wild three months. <laughs> right. I think uh, for me, I was looking at it and I and I think Giannis and Jokic are both better players than Jimmy. But thinking of the two way stuff and especially the uh, the game seven or I guess was a game six that Bam had against the, the Celtics. Um, I thought Bam was just better than Middleton and Murray. I kind of, this, this may be a little bit of cheating or a little bit unfair, but I was just kind of, when I was making my list, I saw how in the playoffs, uh, Jimmy and Bam matched up with Giannis and Middleton. And they're just, they might be less talented and a worse duo than them, 
but they're just such a perfect matchup against those two players. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I think they can guard those two players, and the other two players can't guard them. That I felt like I had to put them ahead of uh, right, Giannis and Middleton. But that could <laughs> be over. Though, and and you know. I knew looking at this, it was going to be hard to defend the Sixers duo above some of these guys that I put below them. But at the same time, do you think any of these teams stand a chance against the Celtics if they lose one of their two of their big two? Like, I mean, I think it gets underrated how much of a blow that was losing Simmons for that series. I mean, so much gets put on Embiid and rightfully so probably they got fucking swept. But at the same time, I mean, this is a team that was a few possessions away, a one shot away from making the Eastern Conference Finals and probably, in my opinion, giving the Bucks a run for their money to make the finals last year. And I still think, assuming neither of them get traded, I mean, man, I think they're two, without a doubt, top 20 guys in the league who I, mean, I think, oh, I don't know. I, I It's hard to really justify it considering it's a results-based league and you need to win if you want to be considered one of these top teams. But the same time, I just respect both of them as players so much, even if they don't perfectly coalesce on the basketball court. Right. That was a uh, that was one of the things. I'll go. Th- uh, I'll I'll say something, and then I'll go through my my tier two or my tier three. Um, Simmons, Simmons and Embiid, I think, are two incredibly talented people, and probably individually, they're them, and then the the team that I had directly below them, which is. Same as you. We really had a very similar list, uh, except for where we placed Jimmy and Bam. Yeah. Um, I had Harden and Westbrook directly below them, and I think those two are very good examples of two of two really talented duos that just don't naturally fit together in the way that you would uh, think that the current NBA would put two players together and how current NBA offenses work. I think that the other part of it with me is that Simmons and Embiid, when we've seen them in the playoffs, both of them have shown different issues and are not helped by the Sixers roster, obviously, but different issues that have made me question to some degree how how great they are. I think that three years ago when they played the Celtics and they got lost in five games and... Ben Simmons looked really out of place and Joel Embiid had trouble with entry passes and going up against Al Horford. Um, the next year, they did only lose by one shot, but like, Bill Simmons, it's, hard, yeah. it's hard to forget that Simmons didn't look great and Jimmy Butler was taking over a lot of those games and was clearly the second best player and at times the best player on the, on the court at that time. And, uh, and then this year, you know, they didn't look great in the regular season. And then the playoffs, I. It's why, I mean, you know, it's hard maybe to project the sort of defensive leap that Ben Simmons was going to take between 2018 or yeah, 2018, 2019 and 2019, 2020. But like the Horford signing is so baffling when it's clear at this point, at least to me that their best lineups are not with Ben Simmons playing point guard, but with Ben Simmons kind of playing that four spot, maybe stepping into the dunker spot like he was during that playoffs more often than not. But like, it's a point guard. I mean, that's what they need. And I, I don't know. Right. It, it's going to be tough to make it out of that cap hell that they've gotten themselves into and a sort of roster that's just stacked with big guys, which is funny considering they drafted Joel Embiid, Jolly Okafor, and Nerlens Noel three drafts in a row and then still end up with three big guys who can't shoot all these years later. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really the defensive, the, the defensive potential for me 
that kind right. of pushes it over the edge because I mean, they're two of the five or 10 best defenders in the league. And when you've got that, I mean, you'd say you probably should try to figure it out, but at the same time, neither of them can shoot the ball for a lick. So <laughs> that's, that's understandable. Uh, I think for me, it was just Jimmy and Bam uh, and Jokic and Murray got to the conference finals this year. I wanted to reward, I wanted to reward them for that. Yeah. And then Giannis is just such a dominant player that I thought he had to be ahead of them. Um, yeah. And frankly, I had Jokic and Murray in that five spot and ended up pushing them down below Giannis and below Embiid only because of Jamal Murray and thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know if Murray can keep up that sort of pace he had in the bubble for longer than that. I mean, we've never seen him outside of a few games where he looks like one of the best players in the league consistently hold that for weeks at a time. And maybe he really just transformed into a new player having those four months off and he'll come and completely surprise me. And I would love to see that because that Nuggets team is just so fucking fun when they are at their best and having them as another competitor and on the top tier in the East would be, or in the West would be incredible, but I'm not ready to completely buy in to Jamal Murray, even though that ship has long sailed on Jokic. I am bought in. <laughs> yeah. No, that's totally fair. And that's why I had them at the bottom of my tier one. Or, you know, I'll finish yeah. off my tier two. I'll read what that is. Um, it kind of ended up just being second round exits or roughly a, a team teams that are around the level of a second round exit team. So I had uh, Luca and Kristaps in my eighth spot. I had Simmons and Embiid in the nine, Harden Westbrook in the 10. Um, 11, I had Tatum and Kemba. 12, I had Mitchell and Gilbert. And 13, Lowry and Siakam. Wow. It's a crazy how close we are. I mean, we just talked about basketball too much, I think, but I'm realizing that pretty much the only difference we had in at least my second tier was switching Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler in the heat and the six tiers. I think everything else was exactly yep. the same. Yep. And when I read my tier three, I think you're going to be, I mean, it's, it's very similar, except for once again, the team that I've pushed to the top of the tier does not appear yep. in your tier at all. Um, yeah. At the top of my tier three, I've got Zion Williamson and Drew Holiday. We'll see how Drew Holiday shakes out and whether he's even on the New Orleans Pelicans. But from those 20-whatever games I saw of Zion Williamson, frankly, I mean, maybe this is crazy to say, but I think he looked better than Jason Tatum. I mean, he's such an efficient scorer, and even though the defense isn't all there, you could see the parts of what is hopefully someday going to become one of the better defensive players in the league. And I don't know. I mean, the way he catches lobs and the way he just controls the offense without even needing to have the ball in his hands is just glorious to watch and I think he's going to take a step up but even if he doesn't I think he is already on the level given his rookie year to be able to elevate that team to some high spots and we've had disagreements on this I think in the past couple weeks of thinking where are the Pelicans going to be when it all shakes out next uh whatever whenever the NBA playoffs end up being for the 2021 season but I think they're going to be a top six seed at worst and I'm really high where the Pelicans are going to end up um assuming their coaching can bring them together and pull something good out of it. And uh, yeah. And then I've got the same three teams right after that Uh, 12, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, 13, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and 14, Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. The uh, hive mind is really bringing this together for us. (laughs) I'm glad we had some disagreements in the top uh, four because the rest of it has been pretty. (laughs) Yeah. We're pretty similar. It doesn't, it doesn't shock me. The, you did have Zion Ingram, uh, Zion a lot higher than I had him. It's, uh, it's interesting. I I don't know if I can go as far as to say that the Pelicans will be a top six seed next year, 
but I think that if Zion takes the type of leap that you would hope for, then he should be a an all NBA all all NBA level player next year. Like that's that's kind of the generational talent in a second year, especially with so much time since his first year started. You would hope that that's the development that he would have gone through. And you know, if you're gonna compare him to the other like generational talent of that we've seen in the draft of a Luka Doncic or Anthony Davis, right. like they but were on, they were second uh, their second year that they were they were third team All NBA level, second team All NBA. Yeah, level. and I I totally get what you're saying, and I think he will make that leap. And and why I think that I mean like he was on such limited minutes, and frankly wasn't even playing right. during the closeout of some of those games that they lost. But if you look at his per thirty six, like he's already on that level at least offensively in terms of his counting stats and. I don't know. I, I, I'm so fucking high on him. I, I was recently rewatching some of those games and the limited minutes that he was playing. And it looks like a different Pelicans team when he's on the floor. And maybe some of that was Alvin Gentry, not really having a cohesive sort of system in those post uh, Anthony Davis years. But at the same time, like, I don't know the way he controls the pace of the game and just that flow. I don't know. I'm, I'm so high on Zion and what I think he's going to do next year. But I also think in that limited time that he got, he was already, I think easily to me, one of the top 20 players in the league. So I'm excited to see what he can do with it. I don't think that it, it would be shocking at all. If he were an all NBA player next year, Uh, my, the fact that they were lower on my list is more, (laughs) I'm less confident than I'm less confident in there. They're less proven and the, I'm less confident they're number two. Yeah. Um, and I'm less, well, and I'm, I'm and frankly I'm high not on the people, confident. I'm high on the people ahead of them. I will, yeah. uh, I, I was going to yeah. save it for later, but I might as well spoil it. We had another disagreement in who their number two is. I put Brandon Ingram as the number two for the Pelicans. You know, he was an all-star last year. He was the all-star from their team. I think he's going to shoulder a more, a, a larger offensive load. I think, I don't know if this should factor into my decision or if it did, but he is going to be a bigger part of their future, future plans yeah. than Drew Holiday is. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I think that Drew Holiday, they're probably going to treat as the number three. Um, I think he's going to get traded. Drew Holiday is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the tough thing because – Honestly, I didn't think I could justify putting them ahead of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown if I had put Brandon Ingram there, because as much as I've said multiple times over the past couple of years, I think Brandon Ingram is going to be a better player over his career than Jason Tatum is. As good as he was last year, I still don't think he has proven that, and I think his potential is just astronomical. I mean, he doesn't have the wingspan that KD does, but he is a tall, lanky dude who shoots the ball and has some of those same athletic traits that Kevin Durant did when he came into the league. And his ceiling isn't that high, but his ceiling is still so fucking high. But at the same time, I don't know. I think Drew Holiday is a better player right now than Brandon Ingram is. And man, I, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be on the team. So maybe, maybe it's unfair to have put him in that spot. But <laughs> did, did you have Jalen Brown? I didn't, I might've missed it. Did you have Jalen Brown? Or did you have Kemba as their number two? I had, I had Jalen Brown. What about you? I had Kemba. I think it was close, but for the most part, uh, I kept on flashing back to the Sixers first round this year in which yeah. this was heavily matchup dependent, but, Kemba's pull-ups uh, when Embiid was playing drop coverage and pick and roll just destroyed the Sixers. And right. I thought that there was a lot of times when he was ISOing, they were setting picks to get him to ISO on the other team's worst defensive player, whether it was Hero or Robinson in the uh, Miami series. I still think that his like off the dribble creation is a little bit more valuable for them than what Jalen Brown does. Yeah, But they're another team that's a big three or big four than 
uh, a duo. Smart, you mean being the fourth or? I would say smarter or, or Hayward even. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. fair. We'll see where he is next year too. But yeah. I, yeah, that's a really good point. And if you're going about the bubble, I mean, I think Kemba thoroughly outplayed him, especially when you consider Kemba's worst games weren't that bad. Jalen Brown had some sort of disappearances down the stretch in the bubble, but I don't know. I mean, Jalen Brown improving his game during that last season as a whole, the way that he did, adding some of those playmaking abilities and oh, man, his like dribbling and the way that he handles the ball was just such an improvement from where he was the year before that I think, and I hope he's going to be an even better player because I don't know, I'm not super high on Tatum, even though I think he was a fantastic player who did some fantastic stuff in the bubble this year. I think Jalen Brown has the potential to be a Paul George type of player. If he can continue on this progression. Yeah. I'm, I'm high on Brown. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm high on him we'll we'll see what he turns into because there's still a part of it where like the Raptors weren't playing there was a couple games where they didn't play him as a shooter and he had some bad bad misses and I I don't know if I find his offense consistent enough for me to put him ahead of Kemba but the ceiling I agree is if 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 he ever convinces me or if he ever gets that consistency um then I agree that the ceiling is really high for him Yeah. And I mean, I think he's a great defender already, but hopefully, I mean, you need him to turn into a sort of more elite defender if you want him to sort of take on that second role, especially on the Celtics. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's some still Stockholm syndrome. No, it's the opposite of Stockholm syndrome, but whatever. I'm uh, having PTSD flashbacks of the uh, Kemba shot against Pitt all those years ago. Yeah. Fuck Kemba. I I forgot about that. Um, It's fascinating to me that of our top three tiers so far, neither of us have put the Portland Trailblazers, which is where they they take the top spot in my tier four. But I, I'm surprised that we agree that they're kind of pushed into that the last tier. They also take the top spot in my last tier. I think that uh, I can I'll just say my first two in that last tier because my 14 and 15 are Lillard and McCollum at 14, and then Zion Ingram at 15. Okay, so I, you got the same top 15 in some order. Right, yeah. right. I, I I think I just had to reward Lillard for the season that he had and the bubble that he had. He was second team All NBA again. It's he was clearly the third best guard in the league this year behind yeah. Luca and Harden. I agree. Uh, which is incredibly impressive to me I think that so I think that just because of that I had to put him on I I had to say that he would be at least the same level that Zion would be next year Um, it's a McCollum thing though like (laughs) at the end of the day McCollum I you know he is what he is he's he's fine he's he's gonna make some really tough shots he came up fucking huge for them in the play-in game against the Grizzlies but he's also like a very limited player and has his deficiencies and yeah. There was honestly, uh, I don't know if you considered it at all, there was a half a thought given that I gave to putting Nurkic as the number two player for the Blazers just because of what he does for them is such a unique skill set for their roster in terms right. of playing defense and, yeah. and rebounding. And I mean, I didn't think about it, but I think it was post. mostly the injury. I mean, maybe if it was a year ago or a year and a half ago coming off of that, playoff series against the Warriors and the subsequent sort of domination of the playoffs before that. I mean, they, they beat the Nuggets. I mean, that's no small feat considering what we've seen the Nuggets are able to do. Um, 
but not really seeing him this year. Maybe he's just sort of not on the top of my mind. I think it's going to be interesting. You're right. Because frankly, like I think CJ McCollum as a third best player to a lot of these duos above them. I mean, like, can you imagine if CJ McCollum was on the Lakers? Like there's a lot of teams where he would be just the perfect third option on. Um, But yeah, he's just not good enough to shoulder that load. And a lot of it's the defense, frankly. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a poor man's Bradley Beal. Yeah, I like that. Bradley Beal's turned into a better passer, I think, but right, just the the stronger finisher, and although McCollum is acrobatic with his finishes, I think Beal is just a little better going through people and getting the easy buckets. Yeah, I mean he's bigger. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and and that's and that's pretty much what it comes down to, to with Lil and McCollum is all those teams in the West ahead of them have such big and strong guys, and are a lot of them are built around getting easy buckets at the basket that you just worry about how Lillard and McCollum are going to hold up. You know, he's Lillard bombing 40-foot threes, but at some point, Anthony Davis just is going to <laughs> to, to control of them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, yeah, I mean, you know, like, it's such a difference seeing them match up against the Thunder two years ago where Paul George – I mean, frankly, I mean, I, I should have gotten this hot take off earlier, but, like, I was looking at some of the advanced analytics on Paul George's career and, like, it's such a stark contrast defensively when you look at his metrics before and after that ankle injury. And I mean, it's hard to deny that as an Indiana Pacer, he was one of the best wing defenders in the league. And I'm not sure the eye test or the advanced analytics really matches up to that being the case anymore. And I think that would worry me. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I got there from CJ McCollum and Damon Lillard. It's election night. I'm already kind of drunk, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, we need something to get through it. <laughs> I don't know. You wanna do you wanna read off the first? Yeah, one? yeah. I, mean, I, I guess next year. My number fifteen, I already said, was Damon CJ. So my number sixteen through number twenty-one was my last uh, in my fourth tier of players. And number sixteen, I had Chris Paul and Shea Gilders Alexander. Number 17, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, number 18, John Wall and Bradley Beal. Number 19, Malcolm Brogdon and Domas Sabonis. And number 20, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton with the 21 spot coming in with Ja Morant and question mark. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think Brandon Clark would be my best pick to put in there, but I'm still, there's a part of me that thinks Brandon Clark's season as a rookie was a little bit of an outlier. I mean, maybe he'll get back to that someday, but I'm not sure all those floaters he was hitting are still going to be hitting even, I don't know. We'll see. I would love to, I would love for that to be true, but uh Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's just the type of player he is. I think if you look at his college film, he had a really good touch on his floaters too, and he's just kind of a really impressive right. intermediate in, intermediate uh, finisher. I think and you're I, right. I would trust him. Yeah, but at the same but, time, have we ever seen a guy? I mean, maybe there have been a few that I'm forgetting, but how many guys have there been? I guess would be the way to phrase it. That became more efficient scorers when they got to the NBA versus what they were in college, especially playing in like the fucking whack or whatever conference they were playing in with Gonzaga. You know, I don't think he was that much more. I I would have to look back on it. I know he was a lot he was the most efficient really, scorer in the league. Well, I know there's a lot of people who are really high on him and Gonzaga, and yeah. I think that there's uh, a product that I bet a product of it was that he was an efficient scorer at Gonzaga. Right. And I bet that uh, just the fact that he's in an NBA offense where the three-point line is more spaced out and he's playing with uh, NBA tactics, he might just be the kind of guy who 
does better with all that space with better players to set him up. Um, yeah. That being said, I had JJJ as the number two player for the yeah for the and... Grizzlies. I I think that his like three his three point shooting and his weird hook shots and his like ability right. to guard all five positions was too valuable to not make him the number yeah. two. Yeah, was pretty. And I think cool that's that. probably the right answer. At the same time, I think if you're going straight up on talent, it might be Jonas Valanciunas. But, you know, I think that's not fun. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Valanciunas is getting played off the court at different times yeah. uh, in, in key games. I think, you know, he matched up well against the bonus and, or not the bonus, the uh, Nurkic in their playing game. But I think JJJ is probably, is, is definitely a better player. And I think that, Valanciunas wouldn't have been getting as many minutes if JJJ wasn't injured. In you're probably right, game. but uh, um, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had the same 21 teams, and we were very similar uh, in a, in in most of the spots. Although we did have a couple key key differences. So I'll say I'll repeat again. Yeah, run through it. My my 14 was Lillard and McCollum. My 15 was Zion and Ingram. My 16 was the same as you. I had CP3 and SGA. Uh, 17, I had Wall and Beal. 18, Booker and Aiton. 19, Cat and D'Lo. 20, Sabonis and Brogdon. And then 21, John, JJJ. So a little bit of a mix-up in that 15 to 19 area. Not much. Well, I'm glad the hive mind is much. really coming together here. <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on the Pacers? Because I, I struggled with that a little bit, not too much. It was maybe a few seconds of thought of where do I put Oladipo in this top three. But eventually it was like, yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't know. Man, Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon yeah. is a lot better than I thought he was as a UVA hater coming out of college. But uh, Sure. <laughs> I remember uh, Jason Concepcion tweeting on the very first night of uh, Malcolm Brogdon's rookie year, like, yeah, Malcolm Brogdon's a lot better than Matthew Della Vidova, who was starting for the Bucks at that time. So ever since then, I was kind of paying attention to him as a confident, uh, you know, smart for general type of guy. I mean, I also thought about Oladipo, quite frankly, I think, I'm lower on Oladipo than most people are. Um, I guess a lot of people are getting there now. But I think that even without – the injuries don't help, but even without the injuries, I thought he only had one, one season, good season where he looked yeah. like a really good player. Exactly. Um, even then, it was like a season that ended in the first-round exit and right. maybe third-team All-NBA. Um he wasn't that type of shooter the year before. He had never really showed that he was that type of shooter yeah. any other time. He's an explosive player, a good like combo guard kind of guy. But I don't know if I ever trusted that like all-star was where he was as a player. And I think the decision got made even easier because of, you know, I'll come back to it again. These high post uh, passers like Jokic, Draymond, Bam, and Sabonis, when they have a point guard or a guard that works really well off bar, off ball and is really smart at getting them the ball in the spots they want and then cutting around it, like Steph, Jimmy, um, Murray, and and Brogdon, I think it makes a lot of sense yeah. just offensively. And I thought Brogdon, Sabonis, pick and roll chemistry and just high post, you know, cut off ball chemistry was really really good this year, and that made my decision a little yeah. bit easier and simpler to just pick Brogdon as their as the other part of the duo. 
Yeah, I think I agree with you um, completely. I mean, I don't know. I heard the news that the Bucks were going after Oladipo pretty hard, and I'm not sure I like that. I mean, we've talked about the Bucks so much in our disappointment for the way that they've been managed over the past couple of years. And I totally agree. I mean, it's been one season where Oladipo has looked like one of the 20, 25 best players in the league. And besides that, I mean, he was viewed as just a total, you know, for lack of a better word, piece of shit coming into that trade. I mean, people thought that they got absolutely fleeced. And for one season, you know, everybody's like, how could you give up all of this? Um, I don't know. I, I completely agree with you. And I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's tough, but I'm not sure, you know, we're ever going to see that same player athletically even because of those injuries, which is, I don't know. It's hard to say that, you know, people shock me all the time. And that's the thing talking about guys like John wall and talking about guys like Kevin Durant, who are both on this list, even though in very different spots for both of us, you think about the way that Brianna Stewart and the way that Richard Sherman and all of these sort of explosive athletic players have come back from Achilles injuries. Maybe modern medicine is just making the way that we talk about these injuries completely different, but at the same time, Oladipo is one of those players who has just not looked the same since his big injury. Yeah, and it sucks. You never want a player's career to be dictated by that. Unfortunately, it is. Sports are hard on the body. It's yeah, it's no fun. Um, you want to talk the about the Wizards? Are, yeah, I'd love to talk about the Wizards. I'm glad that you had them uh, <laughs> put them in your list. Would you have them at 18? Is that what you? Yeah, I had them at 18, and frankly, like, I was. I was ready to put them higher, but I, I think 17, that Cat. Yeah. I think the Cat's a better player than Bradley Peel, and at the end of the day, that kind of made my decision for me. And the sort of not knowing what is going to happen with um, John Wall, but you know, even sixty-five right. percent of John Wall, I think, is better than D'Angelo Russell. So it's a tough decision, right. but I think I'm just a big believer in Carl Anthony Towns. But I think it's close when you look at the Oklahoma City top two. And I don't know, I, I love that top two that they've got, assuming John Wall can make any sort of recovery. And I think this has been maybe a little bit of a product of spending so much time talking about basketball with Wizards fans, but I think you guys have kind of convinced me into thinking John Wall might make some sort of a comeback this year. And seeing, like I said, guys like Brianna Stewart or girls like Brianna Stewart and guys like Richard Sherman come back so explosively from their Achilles injuries. Yeah, I mean, the thing that gives me hope with John Wall is that he had been dealing – he had a number of different injuries that he was dealing with beforehand, like the bone the spurs bone that spurs, should yeah. now be solved. And the biggest thing for me is that he's just such a smart basketball player and loves basketball so much. I mean, you see all these stories of him looking at high school game films. He keeps up to date with all the D.C. high school leagues, uh, boys and girls, college, boys and girls, pro, you know, NBA, WNBA. He's really like, he really loves basketball. He knows, I think a lot of the stuff that's plagued him in the past and that you would worry about hurting him in the future is just bad habits. Uh, and I, I can talk about John Wall all day, but you know. There'll I, be another episode for that. Yeah, right, exactly. I don't have the, uh, you know, I, I trust John Wall to, to, fix those bad habits especially after two years of watching Bradley Beal become the player that he is and like there's part of me that says like you know maybe neither of them you know peak John Wall was very good but it, let's say he's a little worse than peak I think that you know they might not be better than the number ones and little with uh, Portland or New Orleans but both of them might be better than McCollum and Ingram or McCollum Andrew Holiday 
and and so there there's an argument for them to be higher up on that list it just all depends on what they look like next year yeah no that's a really good point I don't think I mean you talk about peak John Wall if that's what we get and you know I have gotten made fun of in my life for overestimating John Wall's age a lot in these sort of heated discussions that we've gotten into where he seems like a 32 year old in my mind but he's still only 29 years old and I mean frankly like if we get 90 95 percent or even peak John Wall you know perhaps we get that back I don't think it's crazy to think they might nudge their way into that Harden Westbrook territory I mean that's how good they could be and I don't know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we are probably going to talk for multiple hours about John Wall (laughs) on an upcoming episode but it's it's exciting and I think it gets a little bit lost in the Kyrie Irving Steph Curry Kevin Durant coming back from injury talk when you have a guy who by some accounts was the top five point guard in the league, but at worst was one of the top seven point guards in the league and a top 20 guy without a doubt coming back and coming onto a team that was already one of the best offenses in the league last year. So I'm excited. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they work the men because they've got a good coaching staff, although that might be controversial. And I do like the way that their management has been, I don't know, I don't like isn't the right word, but it's been significantly more stable and sensical than the Ernie Grunsfeld era. So I'm optimistic. (laughs) Optimistic too. Uh, Last thing I'll say is just uh, talking about that offense. Well, we'll get into it on a a future episode. There's no need (laughs) to spoil anything. Um, So you had Kat and D'Lo at a few spots higher than me. I, I a big part of that might just be that you're way higher on Cat than me. For me, I had him at 19 and the Pacers at 20. Just and I don't think that there's like a huge amount of difference. I think Cat's a lot more talented, but like right now, I don't think that there's a huge amount of difference in the type of player that Cat is and what Sabonis does. Uh, just as not only a right. scorer, but like a a hub for the offense to revolve around. Uh, do you want to talk about why you are such a big fan of Cat? Yeah, and absolutely. And I mean, so much of this is about narratives where we end up ranking these players, seeing small stretches that we love and latch onto, or seeing small stretches that we completely give up on a guy for seeing him play poorly for a month or two. And that's kind of what that first month or two of the season was for the Wolves for me last year, where we saw. Carl Anthony Towns basically playing like James Harden, hitting step back, you know, high pick and roll threes, passing like we've never seen him pass before, and basically like taking a creator role on with the Timberwolves. And then an injury hits, he doesn't really look the same. His mom passes away over the summer. And frankly, like, you know, the bubble was not great. And or they weren't even in the bubble, were they? No. No. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like, I think he is the type of guy who is without a doubt one of the best offensive players in the league, even though the defensive potential that he's always had has never even been close to being realized. And I think you take that. I mean, I think I felt a little bit foolish comparing him to Dirk Nowitzki a couple of years ago because Nikola Jokic looked so Dirk-like during his little run he had in the playoffs this year. But I think that's still the best comparison of what he could end up being. He's a guy that can hit shots from any level of the floor. He's a dominant on the interior. He hits mid-range shots and he hits off the dribble threes like a guard would. And that kind of potential as a five or even as a four, if they bring someone like Wiseman in, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen, it's just so explosive to me that even my dislike for D'Angelo Russell, who I think is kind of in that Oladipo territory where that one season he had with the Nets where 
he was hitting floaters that he has never hit any other point in his career, passing at a level that has never been reached by him since. And that's kind of been adapted as what D'Angelo Russell is. I, I am low on D'Angelo Russell, and that's why I push them down. But frankly, because of how good I think Cat is, I was almost ready to push them up even higher. And I guess we'll see. We, we will see because this year is going to be big for Cat. Because if the Timberwolves aren't, I mean, they don't have to be a playoff team because we know how tough the West is. If they aren't competitive and fighting for a playoff spot, it's trouble. I think D'Angelo Russell is really good. I think he's a super underrated passer. I think he's should have be able to develop some sort of like pick and roll chemistry with Cat and the rest of the team. And it's and again, it's not fair because I mean, who would you say the third best player on the Timberwolves is right now? Like it's it's brutal. God. You're talking about Josh Kogi or Jared Culver or, or I guess I guess Malik Beasley. Yeah, is, Malik uh, Beasley was pretty good. Is is, is who Oh, but that say. he's never yeah, yikes. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yikes! Which is which is which is rough and and not fair to Cat. But at the same time, if you're a dominant, if you're the type of player that we want to think of Cat as, then you have to win some games eventually. <laughs> like it's been a long time. There's been very few games. Like like he has these big number games, but very few games where you where you're just like watching him take over in in the stretch of a close game or you're seeing him go toe-to-toe with one of the top centers in the league or one of the top teams in the league. Um, a, lot of his, uh, a lot of his big games come, you know, he's had those stretches where it's like he's averaging 25 and 15 for a month and a half, but it's all at the end of the season against a lot of teams that aren't trying, aren't giving out their full effort. Right. Um, I'm, I agree with you that, like, He's one of those guys, uh, Aiden, we can talk about too, but just like in theory, like their skill set and what they can do would be such an incredible player. And when it comes out on the floor, it just doesn't fully uh, realize every, all the value that it could have. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And yeah, you know, it's hard to argue with that. It's just, and I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, I remember so vividly two years ago at the end of the season where he went exactly on your saying on that tear during the last two months when none of the games mattered. And yet, you know, first round of the playoffs when they need him to step up against the Rockets, he completely disappears. Um, and it's really a two month stretch before he dealt with those injuries that I'm kind of going off of where he just looked like a different player and he's always been a scorer, but you need him to take over and be more than that, which maybe is not fair for a guy who is seven foot one and a center, but considering how bad that team is, you kind of need it, which is tough. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And, you know, you just look at that Minnesota roster and (laughs) I don't know if you have any confidence that they're going to be the, the like playoff fringe playoff team that they need to be to prove Cat's worth as a winning basketball player. I don't think that they have the pieces, and it's not going to be fair to him, but I don't think they have the pieces to compete night in, night out with other West playoff teams. Can you tell me what the fuck Minnesota was doing in that Clint Capella um, Robert Covington trade last year? <laughs> who did they Who did they get in that? Did they get a pick? or uh, Evan Turner and Jared Vanderbilt. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the kind of shit that bad teams do that cheap teams do is they give away competent 
like players that have value and they throw them away thinking that they don't have value or just right. trying to get off the money. Cause I was thinking like, Oh yeah, Robert Covington would be the third best player on that team. And then I'm like, wait, Robert Covington doesn't play for the Minnesota Timberwolves anymore. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're I mean, so right. They, and they're lucky that, you know, Mike Malone in the front office in Denver were beefing. So to the point where Mike, Mike Malone wouldn't play uh, MPJ and Tim Connolly had to trade all the wings on Denver's roster, including Malik Beasley, just to just to force Mike Malone's hand into playing MPJ. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean that's like you talk about incompetent front offices versus competent front offices, and you know, frankly, a lot of it's luck. Like you know, you can't expect to hit on guys like Bol Bol and Michael Porter Jr. at the rate that they've been doing, but when you do the right thing and stick to a plan over a long period of time, like the nuggets have, it has good results. And like, you know, the way I am not frankly even certain that Nikola Jokic is that much better of a player than Carl Anthony Towns. And he's better. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think the difference is as big as what most people would think it is, but man, I mean, the way that they've built around Nikola Jokic, I mean, you can't even compare it. Like there are probably six guys on the nuggets who would be better than the third best guy on the Timberwolves. And you're right. At a certain point, you have to blame a lot of it on Carl Anthony Towns, especially considering the way he no-showed in the playoffs. But, you know, situations matter a lot. And I, I hope he can someday be on a competitive team. And I'm sure he will, but I'm not sure it'll be anytime soon, which is fucking sad. Right. The other big part of it for me with Minnesota, they're not that interesting, so I'll just finish it here. <laughs> We've <laughs> talked a lot uh, about the Timberwolves. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to no one wants to hear that. Um they uh, just, you know, your center, especially in a, such a pick-and-roll-driven league right now, the two people guarding that pick-and-roll are going to be your point guard and center. Your center is the most important position for anchoring a defense. And it's really tough to build a competent uh, NBA defense around uh, horrible defenders. Around yeah. two horrible defenders. I mean, <laughs> I guess the Nuggets are a fascinating – the Nuggets, and that's a fascinating uh, – you know, just right. alternate universe because there's a very, you know, they were they were on very similar paths for a while, the Nuggets and the and the Timberwolves, and in fact they had the play-in game um, a couple years ago for that eighth seed when the Nuggets made that huge run. The Timberwolves ended up winning it and and making the playoffs, and then since then the Nuggets have turned into a completely different team, and their top two guys have turned into superstars a superstar and a you know borderline all-star if he has a great season um and and minnesota has at least earning the contract that wiggins never earned (laughs) yeah right and (laughs) that's a very very good way to put it and minnesota's kind of fallen off and Jokic and murray they're not good defenders and you can make an argument that they're just as bad of defenders individually as Philo and cat but there's just a little bit of like, I don't know if it's fire in the belly or competitive spirit or, you know, Mamba mentality or, or whatever you want to call it, that they're competing on that end. And when they, and on offensively, they want to take big shots and they trust themselves to take tough shots uh, that you don't see from Timberwolves, from the Timberwolves guy in tough games. Even the one playoffs we saw from them, I didn't see a lot of like, cat being like all right i want to so i want this to be my series. moment i want i want to take control yeah. here whereas you know right away with the nuggets in the playoffs 
Jokic and Murray just turned into two completely different players than they were in the regular season. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, a lot of that might have to do with playing the 2016-2017 Rockets, who are one of the best defensive teams constructed in the past five years or whatever you want to say. And maybe that's not giving them enough credit, but at the same time, you're totally right. Like the Nuggets have faced so much adversity in the same way that that team in Minnesota did and overcome it. At least, you know, look like they're trying to overcome it. That's the bare minimum for what we could ask, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, don't want to talk too much about the Timberwolves, but I think the ship has sailed on that. (laughs) Uh, What about Um, the Grizzlies? We both have them at 21, right? Yeah, both have them at 21. I thought that they were, you know, the nine teams below them for the most part. Like, the only one that I could possibly think about is even having, like, a duo that you would put on this list is, I wanted to say the Hawks with Jaw and John Collins. Yeah, or Trey and John Collins, right. maybe, Capella, maybe, maybe like a Macar- uh, Markinen or Wendell Carter Jr. with Zach Levine. Yeah, I didn't but think about that, but that's... I, I, I didn't really give any thought to them. And the rest of the teams, they don't have two players that are separate. Like, I the Cavs, like if you want to look at a talent quotient, uh, like Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, <laughs> maybe are as talented as these guys, but. That's or the whole Blake Griffin of, and whoever else. Yeah, in that's a whole Detroit. Yeah. can of worms to <laughs> to open up. Um, I think I just, maybe Sacramento if they had stayed a little bit healthy, but Bagley we just haven't seen nearly enough. So Bagley I mean, it's just a different yeah. conversation. Yeah, you're totally right. right. I mean, I, Atlanta was the one I thought of a little bit because I think Trey deserves yeah. to be on a list like this, Agreed. even though he doesn't deserve to be in one of the top three tiers. He's as good as a lot of those top tier four players, but. I don't trust Capella. I don't trust any of those athletic wings that they've gotten over the past couple of years. And I don't really trust yeah. John Collins, which maybe isn't fair to say he's been good in spurts, but. Yeah, it's tough. It really makes, it, it makes me think about how great that 2018 draft was though with uh, Luca is on this list. Um, Aiden is on this list. JJJ is on this list. Uh, who Trey had a shot at it. And then Bagley right. would have is, is is probably who you would count as the number two for the Kings. So the fact that all the top five or six in that draft you would count as a top two player on their team already is pretty impressive. Harder uh, probably too, yeah. On how that on how that draft would as how on how that draft has turned out. Um, Jaw is just he's great. I lo- I love Jaw. These you know as a John Wall fan, I have to love shaky three point shooters with insane athleticism. And that bulldog mentality. Um, he was great in the. I'll count that as a playoff game. Uh, in the play-in game that he had against Portland, he clearly wanted it in a way that I just talked about. Cat not really showing, and it's different because being the lead ball handler is right. sort of a role that's forced upon you. But he did not shy away from it in any way, and was, you know, the second best player on the floor for a lot of that. Um, I really like the direction that the Grizzlies are going. Uh, and I think that they're, I like Taylor Jenkins a lot as a coach. And I think that they are going to be smart with the speed at which they uh, go with this rebuild because they know that the next two years are not their championship window. And so they can maybe not tank, but not make big moves to take on big salary or big name guys to chase an eighth or seventh seed, uh, knowing that, you know, they could 
have a decent team and still be the 14th best team in the West and get a good draft pick. Right. Yeah, I'm probably a little bit low on John Morant compared to most of the world right now. Just I feel like everybody's so high on him, and I want to see a little bit more, just especially from an efficiency standpoint. But, yeah, it's undeniable. I mean, especially like you're saying, just wanting to take it to dudes and that athleticism. Like, I mean, seeing him and Dame go at it in that game was so fascinating because those are two dudes who, despite their different play styles, are just, like, willing to dunk or try to dunk on anybody's head and like I mean that's what you want to see from a rookie like even though I didn't love everything about John Morant the way I think a lot of people did you have to love that confidence and like when you're building a team around a guy which they are committed to doing with John Morant there's nothing else you want from a rookie season especially considering he also averaged you know like 20 points and eight assists so you you really can't complain I'm not super high on last year's draft I think that's going to be fascinating to see how that pans out I mean there are guys like lower end guys who I think are way outplaying what you would have expected. I mean, even like Cam Johnson in Phoenix, I think was like really a lot more than people would have expected for him. But I don't know that sort of two through 10 range from, or three through 10, I guess, from last year's draft is uh, <laughs> uh, rough. Yeah. There's some uh, tough ones. A uh, lot of, as I'll speak as a women's fan, a lot of variance on the opinion of Rui Hachimura. I'm probably lower on him than, a lot of people, but there's there's there haven't been a lot of guys in that draft that you saw play in just year one or two and you went in, in year one and went like, okay, this is guy's gonna have a spot in the league for a long yeah. time. Like this guy's gonna have a carved out role. You can tell that he's good at these things. Yeah, probably there's, RJ, there's some, I guess, will, but you're right. Yeah. I mean there's some lower, you know, some lower guys that are, you know, Hero, Cam Johnson. Uh, Brandon Clark that really popped off but yeah that three through ten was really Matisse rough. I guess too yeah or even Grant Matisse, Williams like guys who could just do one thing really well right uh, or even just they they make sense they they make sense positionally or in a certain role I got Jordan Poole was last draft that's such a fascinating little experiment I wonder what will happen with him because like he was such a ball dominant guy in college from the little I know not being a huge college fan just watching those uh March Madness finals or not finals. I don't know how far Michigan made it, but it was such a weird fit in Golden State and yet kind of worked as much as they could have hoped for it to work. I'm kind of fascinated to see how he fits in to this new Warriors team. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and that kind of shit only matters so much. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of hoping the Warriors build out their roster to a point where Jordan Poole does not matter that much, but we'll see. Yeah, even even still, like if there ends up being a 72 game season and we can sort of talk about the stuff we didn't talk about at the beginning of the episode with the news and whether what the season exactly is going to look like. But if it's a 72 game season, I'm not sure the Warriors aren't going to load manage a lot, which probably would be the smart thing to do, in which case, you know. I yeah. like Pascal. I, I really, really yeah. like Pascal, and I like Jordan Poole, and I would love to see guys like that get a little bit more playing time on an important team like that. I mean, you consider that Raptor series and that Quinn Cook was getting serious minutes. Like, I'm sure they'd love yeah. to have their ninth man be Eric Pascal right. and Jordan Poole instead of <laughs> – And and the thing about playing with Steph and the space that he opens up is that, like, the words of consistent – like, Fesses Azalea is out of the league. He looks like a – like, Kevon Looney is, you know – you know, like was not already. highly sought. I like him. He's not <laughs> highly sought after in free agency. The Warriors, yeah. The Warriors locked him up, you know, pretty cheap. I think that 
like especially with big men, Seth is going to open up dunks and make make your job easy, and those guys will be able to play. And we, and we saw what the Heat did with young, unproven guys. Just give them a role and put trust in them, and they should be able to. Uh, right, to it's kind of like spot. the thing people always say with LeBron. It's like if you play on a LeBron team, you're going to get a lot of open threes. It's like if you play on a yeah. Steph Curry team and you can set a decent pick, like you're going to get open shots somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, so. Uh, team we had flipped was two teams we had flipped were the Suns and the Timberwolves and my hypothesis is that that was just a product of me thinking Booker is a better player than Cat and you probably thinking that the peak version of Cat is a better player than Booker so is that is am I kind of right there or is that what you that's is, so tough you, I think they're both so underrated as players this is ridiculous like when i saw that athletic tiers list that we were talking about earlier those were the two guys that stuck out to me though and clay thompson that were like these can't be guys that there are 20 guys you could find that are better than these three basketball players like even rudy gobert like who's in a perfect situation where he can do one thing incredibly well like i'm not sure rudy gobert is a significantly better player than devin booker carl anthony towns but yeah, I, I would probably take Cat over Booker at the end of the day. Although that's so that's so tough. I I like both of them so much as like that's so it's interesting you bring that up because Booker is kind of the guard version of Cat in a weird way. Right, right. In terms of the empty calories uh, stigma that's always surrounded him, uh, but Cat's never had a a, a bubble like <laughs> like Devin Booker. You know, uh, I think you that know. Booker's shot creation and tough shot making is on a on a level of like very few guards in the league and I think that his that that's such a it's highly sought after skill and important skill especially in the playoffs that I I put him a little higher and I also just think that Aiton I Aiton makes a lot of sense to me with that team yeah it's a good fit if if he if he turns into what I think he is right. Or even if he doesn't become a great defender, if you turn those 18 footers into three pointers, he is just a perfect fit next to what Devin Booker is right now. I was thinking though, like, I mean, the knock on Devin Booker is who is he played with? And that's kind of changed as they've built a solid team around Devin Booker. But you think about cat outside of that one, Jimmy Butler year, who, who's the best teammate Carl Anthony Towns has ever had. Um, You would have to say, Wiggins or Rubio, I think. I guess Rubio went to the Suns, which is, makes this even weirder of a little <laughs> thought experiment to be doing, but it's tough. Like, I don't know. I, I think it matters so much. I don't know. Because, like, they ruined Garnett, too. <laughs> like, this isn't like... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel so bad for these guys. And then at the same time, maybe they really just are the kind of guys who are always going to be a little bit empty calories. I mean, maybe that's not an unfair stigma to give Carl Anthony Towns at this point in his career. Yeah, I, you know, we can talk about him in the perfect situation or what it would look like with a better fit all we want. But if you, at a certain point, if you never have a winning season, if you keep on losing, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, there's, you can look at specific, I know the coaching is a big difference but you can look at specific seasons with Duncan and stuff where it's like there's teams around him some of those early 2000s teams especially offensively were not that strong and he was carrying them deep in the playoff runs you know 
I, I at least saw that comparison made with some of those shitty Garnett teams from the early 2000s as well. Yeah. Like the difference in those supporting cast was not as wide as you would originally, as you might yeah. assume, because you right. associate Duncan with Manu and Tony Parker. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, like, that's the funny thing, like with these guys who come in as number one picks with high expectations, like Kat, who I think Kat got a little overrated as a prospect and has kind of grown into it a little bit where people expected him to be a great defender where the offense was kind of a little bit of a project and it was exactly the opposite. And if you, you know, let him fall down a little bit and go to a team that can build better around him, that isn't such an incompetent, incompetent team. I mean, you think about Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero, if people are really high on him and he goes top seven, like we might be having a completely different conversation right now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so situational and it's frustrating, especially, I don't know, abolish the draft. <laughs> right. Well, people choose where they work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess I agree with you there. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the 14 through through 21, this, this 15 through 20 range is really tough to, to tell a lot of differences on. And, you know, there's even part of me that wonders if I underrated the Thunder guys with CP3 and SGA, just because they were four seed, five seed in the West last year. Right. But that was such a team oriented. And like, you know, is, I guess Gallo is a free agent, but it's, I don't know, he's not going yeah. back to Oklahoma City. I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking about bumping them up too. And I, honestly, like they might be better than Dame and CJ, but right. yeah, the, I don't know. You know, Lillard and CP3 were the two guys who made all NBA last year who were in my bottom tier. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know that. I didn't. I didn't know if 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 that if just their existence is being that level should. You know, if you not. do the thing that you've always wanted, and I think it's smart, like adjusting the All NBA teams to vote after the playoffs. Like Kyle Lowry probably takes a spot from one of those two guys, right? I don't know. CP3 probably stays in. Ah, that's so tough. The guards were so good this year. CP3 Donovan was second Mitchell. team. I, I bet. I bet he takes a spot. Yeah, and CP3 also was incredible in that Rocket series, so it's hard to take that spot away from him. I mean, honestly, like, we talk about Cat and Booker like this, and that's why I'm so excited to do these player episodes, and we'll talk about John Wall in a few weeks, but sort of tracking these players and the circumstances that have led them to either grow or maybe stagnate in certain ways, which, I don't know, it's so fascinating to me because I think – growth as an NBA player is so team dependent, but also dependent on coaches, dependent on players you have in your locker room and sort of tracking that and trying to pinpoint where these players became who they were is fascinating. And I think that's a big part about Washington where John Wall played with so many coaches. He had terrible front office management and frankly, like never had great, maybe that's not fair to say, but I think it is fair to say in a couple of ways where he didn't have the player leadership around him as an early player to help him develop his game in ways that he later did as a 25, 26 year old. Um, And yeah, sort of pinpointing those things is going to be fascinating, I think, and sort of seeing how these players developed into the players that they eventually became or are still becoming in the case of John Wall and Carl Anthony Towns. So I'm excited. I I would want to explore some other similar players to that, I think, and maybe even some players that have already left the league. Like Kevin Garnett's a fascinating one. Garnett's really interesting. (laughs) You know, because he was, I'm not sure if he still is because he was on the borderline for assists, but he was the only player in NBA history to be in the 
top 50 in blocks, assists, points, rebounds, and steals. Uh, oh, some of the statistical numbers for him are incredible. And if you look, and if you and you could easily imagine him playing so many different roles in today's NBA yeah. that didn't exist back then. You know, the sort of as a small ball five, you know, operating with him. You could you right. could operate with him defensively. He would he would be a great small ball five in a switching scheme. And offensively, he could do a couple of different things. Where you could do the Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo. You work around him at the high post, or he could be a Giannis even. Yeah. And he had some off the dribble, and you and you put shooters around him in that I way. I mean, he truly is one of the best mid range guys of all time. So just thinking about what that could have been if they were taking more three pointers, and knowing some of these analytical facts that we know today would have been fascinating but at the same time you think about guys like Dirk and guys like KG and the evolution of the NBA I guess is a way to put it where they've been so instrumental in helping the sort of ways that the NBA has become become what they are so I'm not sure we get what we have today with so many guys like Kristaps Porzingis and Joel Embiid who are just these new age bigs without guys like Kevin Garnett and Dirk and that's a whole another conversation to have because they were so instrumental in creating the modern NBA that we have today. So it's almost like a chicken or the egg thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of unicorn was, you know, a huge thing. You know, I, I time flies. I was going to say three years ago, but it's gotta be at least five or six now when, you know, the MB Giannis cat Kristaps group was coming into the league. Uh, right. But Kristaps was it, the first unicorn, right? Wasn't wasn't that how that phrase was born? Kevin Durant I, called him that, right? I think so. I think so. Um, but it makes you look back into NBA history and and different bigs and and different other people that you would classify as a unicorn. And it's really, if you think of all the best big men in history, for the most part, you would consider them either unicorns or just absurdly dominant interior presences. So right. you would have your Dirk Garnett, you know, I would say Bill Walton kind of guys. Uh, and good, then, good call. yeah. And then you have your Wilt Shaq uh, kind Hakeem, of guy. Yeah. Hakeem, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like those physical freaks too, where, you know, guys like Wilt were playing at a time where competition wasn't nearly as good as it was today. And then you look at some of their strictly athletic numbers in terms of their vertical and in terms of their wingspan and body size and like will was like Giannis basically and yeah he was putting up numbers he never could have put up today but it's like fascinating to imagine what he could have been like still man what did he have like a 40 inch vert it was something ridiculous he's got like uh, a russell westbrook vertical yeah <laughs> yeah it's, i mean he was absurd i couldn't imagine anyone in 1960 guarding him yeah i that's why i'm so glad we're doing this podcast and just like yeah the now part of it is so interesting but also the historical part of it because i think the history of basketball is so unique in the way that it has grown and the way that former players really influence you know the players of today i mean like you don't get guys like kobe without michael jordan and players learning and stealing from players of the past and like you think about football and that's just simply not as much the case at least i mean guys like bill belichick watch football like nobody's business like probably nobody in basketball ever has in terms of the schematics and things like that but in terms of the players and the way that they you know it's a player league it really is like one player can dominate the sport in a way that other sports really don't have and 
it is so fascinating to me and I'm so excited to sort of track the way that that's progressed over history and I don't know John Wall is interesting and I will get into that in a couple of weeks but he is such a unique player like I'm not sure there is an analog for John Wall before John Wall I'm not positive about that but Isaiah yeah, Thomas maybe I don't know there's I think I think his passing puts him on a different level from some of the poor shooting but like ball dominant athletic yeah athletic you know point guards of the past um but I, th- I think even today you could see like a John Morant or Russell Westbrook as like similar if not perfectly similar guys to him right yeah no that that's a good point I I, I think that yeah I just mean in terms of like I think he coming into the league especially and being a number one pick there weren't many guys like him. And that's what made him such an exciting guy at the time coming onto the wizards. And like, he really was like a cultural icon, even outside of basketball in part, I think, you know, because of the dance, but in part because of his uniqueness as a player, like even Russell Westbrook coming into the league, wasn't close to what people thought John wall might be able to become, which is crazy to think. The the, the reason I have a hesitation saying that he hasn't, uh, there's no conference before is just because explosive point guards have really been the direction of the league i mean if you think of the early 2000s especially the knicks just loading up on marbury and steve francis and and those kind of guys um derrick rose came into the league around the same time as john wall that's a good point there's there's derrick rose there's been a john wall fits the he fits a, a specific mold of uh poor shooting but just attacking point guard who is relentless attacking and getting to the rim at the same time he's had to work his career through different eras where you know a guard that can't shoot loses his value and he had to he hasn't necessarily improved his three-point shooting but he's been able to figure out how to create three-pointers for his teammates in a way that some of the guys who played like him in the past didn't have to do yeah that's a really good point yeah, Ben Simmons is just like big John Wall, I guess, when you really think about it. But <laughs> I've I've made that argument before. <laughs> I don't oh know. Oh my god. Well, this has been fun. What do you think? Who's gonna win the election? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> please pray. Uh, I I don't even want to get into that. That shit's <laughs> so annoying. I'm getting crossed after this. <laughs> yeah that's about where i'm at old tuesday night action you know maybe forget a little bit i i am having flashbacks to 2016 my freshman year of college now in ways that i did not want to think about but have just come rushing over me today because i don't know it kind of snuck up on me i don't know about you but fuck does not feel like november 3rd i'll tell you that (laughs) nope and it's almost because it feels like the real shit is going to come after November 3rd. And so November 3rd doesn't even feel like this big day where we find out who's the president anymore. And like it has for all previous elections, it's like, all right, November 3rd tells us what direction that the two campaigns are going to go for the next couple months. (laughs) And and what approach they're going to take depending on who wins and how close it is and what states and all these different fucking factors. Yeah. 
Well, for our next segment, our main segment on the High Post, we'll be talking about how Bernie Sanders can still take the 2020 presidential nomination. Uh, so strap in after this break. Me on this. We need to get some sponsors on, on this show. Oh, we can do me on these. We, we got to talk about how oh, Bernie's warped compared to the other Democratic nominees. You see Obama hit the uh, three? <laughs> I'm blocking the shit out of that. He's shooting it from the chest. It was a good shot. It was a good shot. I like the lefty. He loves watching lefties. He's got good form. He's not super close to the chest. He's got a little bit of uh he's got a little yeah, bit of reach. He's not that tall though. Like if you see you could see that cool. coming from a mile away. He wasn't yeah. passing that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to think about it. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully we get a basketball season. That's what really matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bernie seems like he was kind of a baller too. You remember when those videos were coming out yeah, like no, a year ago? He Bernie, definitely was balling. He's definitely a player. I feel like he'd be a better street ball player than like any sort of organized. You can't run like a set offense, I don't think. You got to give it to him, let him ISO. <laughs> I think his jump shot's cash. I think, I think young Bernie, I think his jump shot's cash. 